This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are back doing more um, infectious disease and immunology questions. Daphne, how are you this morning? <laughs> the immunology is tough. You know, we so rarely see immunology. Really, it's not a major part of our practice, right? So, so uh, I don't like to give excuses, but I have an excuse for <laughs> why I'm not as good as in immunology. Um, I took an immunology course in college. And uh-huh. I I exempted out of my course in med school. Mm. And I'm well, sure. Well, I did not exempt out of the course, and <laughs> I still am struggling. So. <laughs> and I am sure that if I had actually attended the course, um, I would have probably gotten some of these questions a little bit uh, more correct. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we are picking up where we left off. I think the last question we did That's was right. question 53. Um uh, I guess I'm up next, so I'll ask you the next question. Um, That's right. Daphna, question 54. All of the followings are components of the innate immune system, mm. except, so which one is not a component of the innate immune system? Choice A, B lymphocytes. Choice B, complement. Choice C, eosinophil. Choice D, neutrophils. Choice E, skin and mucous membrane. Okay, so this one. You just, you just got to know this one. So the innate immune system are kind of like, uh, you know, the bouncers, right? So they don't care who you are. They don't need to have seen you before, but they're going to ask for your ID, right? So it's like the early uh, kind of blockers, I guess. So, kind of indiscriminate uh, filters. That's right. Yeah. So, they, so, I mean, anything relating with antibodies is out. So that they're part of the non-innate immune system. Right. So, I, so I'm going to say it's B lymphocytes, but let's look. So complement, yeah, they just are going to attach to what they can. Eosinophils, same thing. They're going to go wherever there's inflammation, same with neutrophils. And the skin and mucous membranes, I mean, they're the like top dogs of the innate yeah. immune system because they're they're the the really the first response. So I'm going to say A, B lymphocytes. Yeah, I think I think people tend to forget about that, that the skin is an important, as a barrier. That's right. It's an important component of the immune system. Yes, you're correct. It is B lymphocytes. Uh, the immunologic system may be divided into two systems of host defenses. We have the innate and the acquired immune mechanisms. The innate immunity includes host defense mechanisms that function without prior exposure to a microorganism or its antigen. That's what we're kind of talking about, saying mm-hmm. they are indiscriminate. They don't really know what they're targeting. Um, some of these mechanisms include physical barriers, such as the skin, um, intact skin, obviously, and mucous membranes. And uh, chemical barriers, such as the uh, gastric acid you have in your stomach and the digestive enzymes. The innate immunity also includes neutrophils, monocytes, complement, eosinophils, and cytokines. Innate immunity is a first-line, non-specific defense. It has a rapid availability. Acquired or specific immune system, on the other hand, mostly consists of the cell-mediated response. So that's the T lymphocytes. And the humoral 
systems which include the B lymphocytes and the immunoglobulin. And if you remember immunology, you remember that these are very specific to, to targeted antigens and so on. Uh, the acquired immune uh, response does require memory. So, okay. This is question 55. A male neonate is admitted to your NICU from the emergency room. He is two weeks old and presented with a fever. Blood, urine, and CSF cultures were obtained, hopefully in the ER. <laughs> the catheterized urine culture is growing 20,000, uh, I guess, CFU bacteria. So what is the most likely organism growing from this infant's urine culture? A, candida. B, coagulase negative staph. E, sorry, C, E. coli. D, group B streptococcus. Or is it E, listeria? This is not you know, a NICU baby. Yeah, because oh, no. the baby is how many months old? We said two months old? It's two weeks old. Right. You know, um, I'm, I mean, I, I remember from my studying that the answer to this question is E. coli. That's my choice. Mm -hmm. I'm worried though. I'll, I'll have to look, unless, unless the incidence has changed, but I'm going to go with E. coli. So the neonate in the vignette has a urinary tract infection. That's correct. It's E. coli. The organisms most commonly associated with a neonatal urinary tract infection are similar to those that cause neonatal sepsis. So infection with E. coli is the most common. Although group B strep can be isolated from the urine of infants with GBS sepsis, primary urinary tract infection is rare. Pathogens causing healthcare-associated infections, um, which was not this baby, but um, include the following. E. coli, other gram-negatives, such as Klebsiella and Enterobacter, Enterococcus, Candida, and Cons, or the coagulase-negative staph. Empirical therapy for a neonatal urinary tract infection should include ampicillin and an aminoglycoside in dosages used for sepsis. Administration should be parenteral because of the high incidence of sepsis in association with urinary tract infections in newborns and because of the often erratic oral antibiotic absorption in infants. Uh, vancomycin and aminoglycoside should be considered for empirical therapy of healthcare-associated urinary tract infections. I think this still holds true. I'm looking it up now. It looks like yeah. E. coli is still the, the bug the bug to treat. Yeah. And especially, I mean, there are likely to be uh, the opportunity for quick questions about early onset sepsis pathogens versus late onset sepsis pathogens. Those you should know. But this was specifically about urinary tract infections. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. You are up next. Question 56. A premature infant who is 32 weeks postmenstrual age has a diagnosis of Staph aureus bacteremia. A nurse in the NICU consults the neonatology fellow because of concerns that the infant has a swollen, erythematous knee with decreased Oof. motion. Which of the following management steps is not indicated? Antibiotics treat antibiotic treatment for four to six weeks. That's choice A. Aspiration of fluid. That's choice B. Choice C. Bone biopsy. Choice D, immobilization of the involved joint. And choice E, lumbar puncture. Okay. You know, I'm always looking for osteomyelitis, which this actually does not appear to be osteomyelitis. This, um, this sounds like a, a septic arthritis, which we see in the pediatric population all the time, but uncommonly in the, mm -hmm. in the neonatal population. But it sounds like it's this joint space. Um, 
especially with decreased motion, that is the problem. So definitely you need prolonged antibiotic course for sure. Um, aspiration of fluid, I think, yeah, that would help you. That's It's invasive, but not the most invasive thing we do, but and it could certainly um, direct antibiotic therapy. Bone biopsy. Well, I don't think it's an osteo. We can debate the use of bone biopsy and osteo, but I, I mean, it sounds like this is a septic arthritis, so you probably wouldn't need to do that. Immobilization of the involved joint. I don't actually know. I think that's falling out of favor. But an E lumbar puncture, uh, I think if you've got uh, infection in a joint fluid, that a lumbar puncture would be warranted for the full workup. Um, so I'm between C and D. I don't know what the I don't know what the data is about D immobilization of the involved joint, except that maybe there would be pain, so that would be helpful. But I, I mean, like I said, it's a septic arthritis, so diagnosis is with the with B aspiration of the fluid. So I'm going to go with C. Bone biopsy is not indicated. Yeah, you're you're correct. Um, bone biopsy is not um, indicated in that case. So the infant in the vignette most likely has septic arthritis of the knee, probably from hematogenous spread following the bacteria. Um, and yeah, so um, so I think that's another interesting one that hematogenous spread is, is, a, is an important reason for the development of an osteo, just like in the case of this baby with a history of bacteremia. Mm-hmm. While septic arthritis can be associated with osteomyelitis, a bone biopsy is not indicated. Aspiration of the fluid is indicated for confirmation of the diagnosis and relief of the increased pressure that results from a pus-filled joint. Immobilization of the involved joint may help to minimize pain. Antibiotic treatment is needed for four to six weeks in an infant with staph aureus joint infection. A lumbar puncture is indicated to rule out meningitis. And infants with septic arthritis are at greater risk of having permanent abnormality compared with infants with osteomyelitis. So I think that's another, yeah, that's another uh, important thing. I think one of the things that was not really discussed in the question stem or in the answer is, well, what about um, if in the cases of um, osteo, like what about x-rays and so on? Um, mm-hmm. So um, we have to remember that the x-ray in the, in a in a in an uh, osteomyelitis may lag behind, so uh, you may not see anything on the first seven to ten days. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's another thing that I took down in my notes. Good job. Okay, buddy, we have just a question. You got to know, Colt. Okay, this is question fifty-seven. What is the most likely serotype of Group B Streptococcus to cause late? Onset disease. Zero type three. Okay. Very good. The choices were one through five. (laughs) The choices were one through five. And um, the answer is uh, three. So GBS, group B strep, three. Three words. I don't know. I like to, that's how I remember it. So serotype three is responsible for the majority of late onset group B streptococcus infections with symptoms typically occurring after days seven of life. Again, late onset sepsis. Approximately 30 to 40% of affected infants have meningitis and half of affected infants will have neurologic sequelae. Mortality with late disease is two to 6%. 
Premature infants are actually not at an increased risk for late onset disease. In contrast, early onset disease occurring uh, less than seven days of life um, is more commonly associated with pneumonia, 35 to 55%, and less commonly associated with meningitis, 5 to 10%. Typically, many serotypes are responsible. Serotype 3 is still most likely, and premature infants are at greater risk of early onset disease than the term infant. Oh, you're muted, buddy. <laughs> I was saying very good. GBS, three letters, serotype three, three, one, two, three. That's right. That's it. Yeah. All right. Do we have time for one more or should we call it a day? I don't know. Those are tough ones. All right. I'll see you tomorrow then. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.